What's up, everybody? I'm Ken Crump. This is the Mainstream Evangelical Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about what every person of faith needs to understand about the American political system and how Christians are being played by professional political operatives. There has never been a time in history where people of faith need to be able to navigate the political realm than there is today. I say this both for the sake of the church and for our nation. We all know that politics can be a dirty business, but it seems to have gotten much worse lately. Like the old saying goes, how do you know when a politician is lying? Their lips are moving. Now, I'm only familiar with the American form of government in, the political, in, the, in that political system, so that's the example I'll be using today. However, many of the principles we'll be talking about are probably applicable to other similar forms of democracy. Uh, There are a wide array of government systems throughout the world. Much of the developed world has some type of democratic parliamentary system. Uh, America is a constitutional democratic republic with a two-party system. There are other parties in America, political parties, uh, but few can muster enough votes to be effective. Most activists and political movements tend to find a home in one of the various subgroups and coalitions within the two American political parties. Within America's two-party system, Republicans tend to represent a conservative view and Democrats represent a liberal or progressive point of view. And there's a spectrum of view within each of these parties where most people will find that uh, find their perspective represented. Now, In most countries, there tends to be this left versus right uh, battle for power. Uh, This is is pretty common across the board regardless of of, of what type of government uh, system they have. Uh, The terms left and right can be traced to the seating arrangements of the French National Assembly during the French Revolution. In 1789, while drafting their constitution, the delegates were debating the limitations that should be placed on the monarchy. In the assembly hall, the anti-royal revolutionaries sat at the presiding officer's left and the supporters of the monarchy sat on the right. The left wing supported change and empowerment of the people. Today, we would call that liberal or progressive. Those who sat in the right wing of the hall supported the status quo and the monarchy. Today, we would call that conservative. So, first thing I want to do uh, because we're talk- I'm talking about America- the American political system today, I want to give just a brief history of our political system in America, where it came from, how we got where we, where we are today. So to begin with, we start at the very beginning. Um, just after America secured its independence, its leaders started debating uh, what form of government we wanted to have. George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, and John Adams organized themselves as the Federalists. They promoted a strong central government with a national bank and saw no need for a Bill of Rights. Now, others who opposed these principles, such as Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, were called anti-federalists, and they later formed the Democratic Republicans. They believed in a smaller, decentralized government and a Bill of Rights. 
Now, one of the first problems the newly formed American government had was getting the Constitution ratified by the states because it didn't contain a Bill of Rights for individual citizens. Now, the American people didn't want to go back to what they just fought a war to free themselves from, so they wanted to make sure that they were, there were rights in place for individual citizens that protected them from the power of government. On December 20, 1787, Thomas Jefferson said this, A Bill of Rights is what the people are entitled to against every government on earth, general or particular, and what no just government should refuse. So what we eventually ended up with was a Bill of Rights and a central bank. So there was compromise and both sides worked together. Democracy is a less than perfect system, but more than not, it gets the job done. In the early 19th century, the Democratic Republicans were dominant and the Federalists slowly faded into irrelevance. Then the ideological fights of right and left moved to within the Democratic Republicans. So you see that the right versus left dynamic is now within this single party. In 1824, John Quincy Adams won the presidential election despite Andrew Jackson winning the popular vote. This divided the party into the Democrats and the Whig Party. The Democratic Party was officially formed in 1828. The Democrats were led by Andrew Jackson. He, he opposed the National Bank of the United States, and he largely supported states' rights and minimal government regulation. The Whig Party stood in distinct opposition to Jackson and the Democrats and supported the National Bank. The donkey symbol that the Democratic Party still uses to this day came from Andrew Jackson's opponents calling him a jackass or donkey, epitomizing a stubborn, dull, or stupid animal. Jackson's flipped the script and embraced the symbol, and later it was used as an icon for the Democratic Party. Now, in the mid-19th century, slavery was the biggest political issue. The Democratic Party had a wide spectrum of viewpoints amongst its membership. Southern Democrats wished for slavery to be expanded into the new western states. Northern Democrats felt that the issue should be settled on a local level and through a popular referendum. And the Republican Party was formed in 1854 by the Whigs. The candidate for president at this time was a country lawyer from Illinois named Abraham Lincoln, who ended up winning the presidential election of 1860. Shortly after Lincoln's inauguration, some of the southern states seceded from the United States of America, and the Civil War began. Eventually, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing the slaves in 1863. Grant accepted Lee's surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1965, and unfortunately, five days later, on April 14th, President Lincoln was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Sherman later received Johnson's surrender on April 26, officially ending the Civil War. After the war, the South was mainly conservative Democrats who were primarily agrarian and anti-big business. The North was mostly Republican and their version of what we would call progressive today. Many fought for civil and voting rights for the black population. Others paid lip service but still felt that black Americans were inferior. Over the years, the Republican Party concentrated on economic growth, industry, and big business in the northern states and became the party for the wealthy class in society. Many Republicans prospered in the 1920s until the stock market crashed in 1929. 
At that time, the American people blamed President Herbert Hoover and the Republicans for the Great Depression, and there was a shift toward the Democratic Party. In 1932, the country elected Frank Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt as president, who launched a number of progressive government-funded social programs, ensuring Social Security, improved infrastructure, and minimum wage, which appealed to working-class voters and the poor. Some Southern Democrats who had more traditional conservative views joined the Republican Party. Roosevelt's progressive liberal policies laid the groundwork for the modern Democratic Party. Roosevelt died in office just before the end of World War II, and Harry Truman took office just after his death. Truman then desegregated the armed forces, which began the shift of Amer African-American voters away from the anti-slavery Republican Party toward the Democratic Party, which was now viewed as the party of the disenfranchised. Dwight Eisenhower and Richard Nixon, his vice president, were elected under the Republican banner in 1953. They served two terms together until 1961. Certainly Eisenhower's position as Supreme Allied Commander during World War II helped him win the election. Then in 1960, Democrat John F. Kennedy was elected as President of the United States and aggressively continued to fight for the civil rights of African Americans, women, and other disenfranchised people in America. This was a significant leap forward for the civil rights movement that helped solidify the Democratic Party's base. At the time, Martin Luther King, although not a politician, did much to change the hearts and minds with his message of truth, love, and nonviolence. In 1964, Barry Goldwater and the Republican Party, re realizing they were losing young people, women, and people of color, began a campaign known as the Southern Strategy that reached out primarily to Southern white men and Protestant Christians. In 1968 through 1972, Richard Nixon continued this strategy and helped solidify a solid Republican base in the South. Since then, we've seesawed back and forth between Republican Dem and Democrats, but this is primarily where the lines have been drawn. Uh, Republicans tend to represent the status quo, big business, law enforcement, a strong military, and traditional Christian family values. They tend to look to the free market or individual initiative for solutions to problems. Democrats tend to stand for people of color, the poor, women, the LGBTQ community, and civil rights. The view, they view the government as a tool to help people and protect them from the powerful and the wealthy. And there certainly is a lot of history since this time until now. But the point of all this is to demonstrate the dichotomous nature of our political system and where we are now. We still find ourselves with these two groups of left versus right. In other words, these are the groups of people and issues that the two sides have aligned themselves with. And if you look at the history, you'll see that there are sub-issues that kind of flip-flop sometimes. And there are some issues that, like 150 years ago, uh, you may have some conservative and some liberal issues today that were on the same side. And they tend to flip back and forth. And, you, and you'll see that no matter what the political party makeup is, though, even when, like when the Federalists kind of disappeared, the debate went into the, the Democratic-Republicans, went into that group. And then they began to, a split of, of, of liberal versus conservative. So no matter what, you have these 
these this two these two sides and today we have these sides lined up the way they line up now having said that let's next look at the actors in our great political drama in other words the groups of people that influence our uh, political system in America. The first group are wealthy influencers. These are wealthy individuals who choose to use their wealth to influence political power in America. Some have inherited their wealth while others started as working class or even poor people and worked their way up the ladder. Some are sincere and want to use their money to influence elections for what they consider uh, making America a better nation. Others are more concerned with self-interest and have little concern for the American people. On the left, you have people like George Soros and Tom Steyer, who donate to the Democrats and progressive causes. Um, Charles and David Cope help Republicans and conservative causes. And certainly there are many other people that uh, spend their money. Uh, some, some of the other rich, wealthy influencers, influencers may just have a particular cause that they, uh, that they support. They may not support an entire party platform or entire movement. They may support just the cause of the environment. Uh, there may be people that are, are pro-life or people that are pro-choice. There's plenty of people that use their, their power and their influence to, uh, to influence American politics. Second is corporate interest. Now, these are companies that use their wealth as a company to influence elections. Usually this involves getting laws or regulations passed or sometimes even removed that are favorable to the company's financial bottom line. Sometimes these companies will take a position on a political issue or donate to groups for the sakes of public relations. Some may support conservative, pro-family groups to appeal to a more conservative audience. Others may support pro-choice or LGBTQ groups to appeal to a more left-leaning group, a left-leaning audience. Personally, I have a Chick-fil-A and Ben and & Jerry's policy. I eat both and have no intentions of boycotting either. Next are nonprofit public interest groups. These may be 501c3 groups, legal advocacy groups, or think tanks, or even trade unions. Many times these groups are used to influence public opinion about an issue, or they may be proxy organizations used to circumvent election laws to promote individual candidates. Others are sincere educational organizations. Then there are those that are conservative and progressive nonprofit legal groups. They use litigation to help people and to establish precedent for court rulings. Some of the think tanks are the Heritage Foundation, Human Rights Watch, the Cato Institute, Council on Foreign Relations, and the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, there are groups across the entire spectrum. Some, some of these are affiliated with, with colleges and universities. Others are freestanding, and they, they're filled many times with scholars and people that write uh, do research, do studies. Uh, there are groups that are on the far left. There are groups on the far right. There are a lot of center left and center right groups. And there are other groups that attempt to be nonpartisan and, and, and just do research right down the middle. Then there are legal, legal advocacy groups like the American Civil Liberties Union, the Alliance Defending Freedom, National Abortion Productive Rights Action League, or NARAL, American Center for Law and Justice, and many others. And these represent both the, the right and the left. Then the next group are political media. These are what some call talking heads. They may be on broadcast cable outlets like Fox News or MSNBC. Uh, they may be on internet streams, over-the-air broadcast radio and satellite radio, podcasts, YouTube, etc. 
These people are where most of the disinformation comes from. Even with legitimate issues and positions, they tend to be taken to extremes that distort the truth. These people, however sincere some may be, tend to gravitate toward extremism because that's what sells. The more outrageous, the more viewers, whether for or against, the better the ratings and the more advertising can be sold and then the more money can be made by the parent company and the person doing the broadcast. Now, when we look at these types of people and we look at the news media in general, uh, it's important to understand the difference between journalism and propaganda. Now, whether it's MSNBC or Fox News or any of the big networks, when it's their news hour where they simply report what's going on around the world, they are acting as journalists and have a responsibility to be objective and simply tell a story. That's called journalism. Granted, some of them will start with, uh, from, from a certain perspective, whether it be left or right, but if you listen to these broadcasts, for the most part, uh, you're going to see the same stories on all these different channels. Uh, there may be a slightly different tilt to it, but overall, they're gonna, just going to report the facts. Now, when you have political opinion shows, however, that's not journalism. And they are admittedly biased and not trying to pretend to be journalism, and they're simply giving you their point of view. They have no duty to be objective. This is called propaganda. Propaganda is used to influence an audience and further an agenda. And unfortunately, that agenda is rarely the truth on these shows. You have people like Tucker Carlson, Rachel Maddow, Ben Shapiro, Don Lemon, etc. They say whatever gets the best ratings. The more outrageous, the better. You know, what's interesting is my wife is from Brazil. They speak Portuguese in Brazil. I know a little Portuguese. Um, and one of the interesting words, but they use sometimes they use different words for things than what we use. And the word they use for advertising, like commercials you see on TV, uh, is the word propaganda. And it's, it's kind of interesting because that really is a, a very accurate word of exactly what that is. Propaganda is they're trying to get you to do something. They're trying to motivate you. They are not interested in the truth or interested in, in being objective or telling you something in an objective form. They're being very unobjective. They're, they're, being, uh, they're deliberately trying to get you to buy their product. And that's a lot what happens here with these shows. Governments in the past, more so in the past, use propaganda to promote ideas, uh, not only for benevolent purposes, of course, Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich um, had uh, just a tremendously powerful propaganda division within his, his government. And even in America during World War II, there was propaganda to promote patriotism and get people to fight in the war. Um, not necessarily for a bad thing, we needed people to fight, but they had a goal there and their goal was to get people fired up and to get people to join the military. Next are religious leaders. Now, in America, this usually means Christian leaders because the majority of people here are Christian. On the right, you have predominantly white suburban churches that appeal to conservatives and Republicans. On the left, you have predominantly black urban churches that appeal to liberals and Democrats. Uh, the Trump phenomenon has basically thrown gasoline on that fire, uh, of that connection on the right. Now, some ministers avoid political issues as much as possible. Others will occasionally bring it up. And then there are those that are very political, some to the extent that most of the sermons are about political issues and legislation rather than salvation or piety. Uh, sometimes you'll have crossovers with clergy and media who are religious broadcasters like Pat Robertson, 
the late Jerry Falwell Sr., not Jr., who got caught being a hypocrite, uh, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, um, and many, many others who, although may not may or may not be ordained clergy, use their influence to promote political causes as religious uh, figures. And then we have the political handlers. Now, these are people whose profession is getting people elected to office. Their job is not so much about policy, but how policy is perceived and which positions on policy will either get people elected or sometimes get legislation through the political process. Their job is politics more than the actual governing. If you define one definition of politics is the acquisition and retention of power, these are the people behind the scenes that make that happen. They are power brokers. They aren't the kings and queens, but are the king makers or the hand of the king. The important thing to understand is that they tend to use whatever means necessary to get the job done, whether those means involve lies, deceit, or misinformation. Their job is to put enough groups of people together to vote for their candidate or policy, and many times they do this using common myths or disinformation. The truth is a side issue. Perception is reality. And this is the disturbing truth, the dark secret of our American political system. Most people don't take the time to do the research and carefully weigh the issues. They have been spoon-fed certain ideas and myths that more than not have little to do with reality. Political handlers know this and exploit it on a daily basis. And people are motivated by fear and anger more than they are motivated by faith and love. Political handlers want to motivate people to take action, to vote, to protest, to give money, etc. And they know the easiest way to do that is through the dark side of human nature. It's not about the truth, but how these political handlers can scare people into voting the way they want. These people, especially the ones on your side, are probably lying to you. They don't care about you. They don't care about what you value and want to see done. They only care about exploiting you and using you so they can get more power. And finally, the last person in this, who you think would be the most important, but really uh, not necessarily, are the actual politicians themselves, the people that are holding office. They enjoy the power and privileges to go with their position in government. Some are sincere, while others are just political puppets for those who pull their strings behind the scenes. Uh, there are many that start off sincere and end up being corrupted by the power and the money and everything that goes with it. All these people work with each other to continue the endless cycle that they profit from at our expense. So for the most part, our political system has worked. Our nation has survived war, economic trouble, scandals, and corruption. We've suffered, but we're still standing. However, today the manipulation, the disinformation, the unjustified the means part seems to be all that's left. There's very little solid policy. There's a lack of sincere debate about legitimate issues. See, America doesn't really have a conservative versus progressive or a Republican versus Democrat problem. America has an extremist problem. On the left, you have people who want more than government-funded programs for people within the context of free market capitalism. They want socialism at the expense of capitalism. 
Instead of the wealthy paying their fair share, they want to punish rich people. They want to punish success. They aren't just advocating a woman's right to choose. They're passing legislation making late-term abortions on demand legal. They go after your business, they get you banned from social media, and they destroy your reputation. On the right, you have people who are more than happy to defund poverty programs in order to cut taxes for the wealthy. They want to take away health care from millions of people simply because the people who came up with the solution are Democrats. Their version of diplomacy is, is flaunting our military muscle around the globe. They don't want people of color to immigrate here simply because they don't vote Republican. They deliberately slow down the immigration process and raise fees to stop people from legally immigrating. They would rather lock people of color up than fund programs that help eliminate systemic racism. Not to mention the tone-deaf response to the inordinate number of unarmed black citizens being murdered by law enforcement. Granted, many of these issues are more complicated than stated, but it just seems that people who are the most extreme seem to be the ones running both of these parties. In response to a question from Jimmy Fallon in 2016 about whether President Obama felt comfortable with Donald Trump as the Republican nominee. He said, quote, the truth is actually I'm worried about the Republican Party. And I know that sounds, you know, you know what it sounds like. You want the Republican nominee to be somebody who can do the job if they win. You want folks who understand the issues and where you can sit across the table from them and have a principled argument and ultimately can still move the country forward, unquote. In other words, President Obama was saying America needs a healthy Republican Party. And what probably went without being said was that centrist Democrats need Republicans to keep progressive extremists in check without centrist Democrats taking them on themselves. And certainly a lot of this stuff has affected evangelical Christians. Evangelicals are being tied to political conservatives who have tainted the gospel with worldly principles and mixed them with kingdom principles. I'm not saying that being conservative is wrong or bad, but disingenuously linking conservative issues to the will of God is a lie. The idea that conservative positions are God's will and progressive positions are somehow the devil is absurd. The idea that a conservative view alone represents a Christian worldview is complete nonsense. You can find positions on both sides that line up with Scripture. And certainly there are things on both sides that, that do not line up with Scripture. It's not that being conservative, it's not about being conservative progressive. It's about understanding that we are going to believe differently and still be one church. It's about putting our faith priorities before our political priorities. Anything that comes between you and God is an idol. Now, most Christians are unable to put their faith before our political activism or advocacy for individual candidates. Politicians want what they want and are willing to do whatever it takes to get it, including put their integrity and their faith on a shelf. But what was Jesus' prayer for the church right before he was crucified? John 17, 11, he said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name and the name you gave me, so they may be as one as we are one. And then 17 and 20 through 23, Jesus talked more about unity. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus prayed for us today that we would be one so that the world would see this and see God in the church. You know, politicians win or lose based on the results on election day. The church wins or loses based on how we treat each other every day. We must not allow anything or any person to divide us as a church. Our hope is not in a political party or a person. Our hope is in Jesus and his message. There are numerous political parties all through the centuries in America that no longer exist. Why are we falling on our swords over a political viewer movement that 10 or 15 years from now will probably change and may not even exist anymore? Those of us who are a little older have a perspective that's a little broader. We've watched these political movements and elections play out, and you see how little effect they have. A couple things may change here, a couple things may change there, but a lot of it doesn't change. And if we're honest, I think we see how much of it really wasn't as important as we thought. I'm not saying don't be conservative or progressive or whatever, but don't allow yourself to be manipulated by professional political people who probably don't have your best interest at heart. Take a breath. Step back. Do your own research. Listen to people with different views and ask sincere questions. How many times do we hear a statement, get triggered, and ready to respond before we even hear the explanation of what they meant? The old Proverbs 18.13, the New King James Version says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. The Living Bible translates it a little harsher. It says, What a shame, yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. So don't allow political views to turn us into a person that Jesus doesn't approve of. We judge the world around us based on what we know. Recognizing this is what determines our maturity. There will always be disagreements on policy, platform, and legislation, and it's vital that we not allow this to divide us. We don't change what we believe, but we understand that other people have valid viewpoints What I like to say is, I think I'm right, but I could be wrong. And that's an important understanding to have, because you know what? You could be wrong. And and I don't know how many times in life I've been so convinced of some things and then later realized that I was just parroting what other people were telling me. And even subconsciously, even not even deliberately, we have certain concepts and mores and things that we think are reality, and they're not. Uh, uh, one thing that helps us is if you've traveled the world and you see other cultures. I remember the first time I went to another country, it was Brazil. A a pretty good example, you know, you go there and you see people doing things in the way uh, that they do things just totally different than the way we do things. And, And you assume that everybody else does things the way we do, but America is only 5% of the world population. That means 95% of the world's population lives outside of our country. And some of us tend to think the United States is the center of the universe. And yes, America has done a lot of really big things over the years and over the centuries, 
But we are not the only country in this world. We are not the only culture in this world. So, and I think sometimes it helps us to realize that other people see things different. Even within the microcosm of America itself, there are a lot of different points of view. All right? Um, us winning the argument and proving how right we are is not the most important thing. Okay? And there are a lot of things that shape our political views and our values. Uh, then affect then affect this and affect us as far as uh, how we see the world around us and how we perceive it and what we believe. One is where we live, where we grow up. That has a lot to do with it. Whether you grew rural or you grew in a place in the north, or maybe you grew out in the west or the south. Uh, how we were raised. Some people were raised in a very strict, harsh environment. Some were raised in a toxic environment. Others were in a very permissive. Uh, environment, or some were in a very healthy environment. Some have a typical nuclear family. Others are single parent households. Some maybe didn't have any parents and grew up in foster homes. Where we were educated, if we were educated, how much education you have, what type of school you went to, um, what we've been told by others, what we've seen, what we've experienced. Certainly our experiences uh, affect us. Um, I think one of the things, one of the reasons, and I'm not here to promote conservatism or liberalism or anything. I'm not here to promote that. But in my own personal life, um, I grew up in a democratic home um, because that's the way people voted. Because my parents came from working class uh, families and working class people back in the 20s and 30s and 40s. They voted Democrat because the Democrats were there for them at that time. And, uh, and then I became a Christian in 1983, and then Ronald Reagan was president at that time, and there was a big conservative movement. There was a big uh, Christian conservative movement back then, and I got caught up in that. So I went from being, a, uh, I wasn't really a Democrat, I was just kind of in that environment. I wasn't really, like, really on board or anything, but then I went into that environment, and for many years, for a couple decades really, I was, I was part of that movement. And then I went through a divorce, and with the divorce came financial difficulty and other things. And, uh, and then I started uh, dating again, and some of the women I dated were single moms and had kids. And these were not lazy women. These were women that were stuck in a situation because the I, would, I wouldn't even call them fathers because of the men that got them pregnant uh, bailed on them and refused to take care of their kids. I, on the other hand, was paying my child support and doing what I was supposed to do uh, until my kids were adults, and uh, and that's how I ended up in that situation, you know. So a lot of them, uh, it really changed my view of things, of 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 poverty and, and the situation that I was kind of cavalier about before when everything was going great when I was living the American dream, you know, had my own business, had multiple houses over the years, and good credit and all this. Then all of a sudden, you find yourself on the other side. And you see the effects of some of these, and I'm not, I'm not dissing all the conservative policies. I'm saying some of them, the negative effect they have on people that are not lazy people, that are not criminals, that are people just having a rough time for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because uh, people suffer because of their own uh, personal bad decisions. I think that happens to all of us. But sometimes it's just life. Sometimes you do everything right and it still doesn't work out. So you begin to realize that uh, there are legitimate reasons for government to help people. And, and I'll tell you this much, and I'll just, the biggest thing with me, 
that changed my mind and moved me. And, I, and I'm not a Democrat. I'm kind of left-leaning on a number of issues, but there's still some issues I retain on the right, but they're all center-right or center-left issues. But one of the biggest was health care because there was a point where I was still pretty conservative. But I noticed that once you get to a certain age, health insurance companies just jack the rates up. So either you're paying a ton of money for a policy with high deductibles and high co-pays. So basically you're paying for nothing unless you have a brain surgery or, or open heart surgery or something or cancer. All the other stuff you're just paying out of pocket like you didn't even have insurance. Or they jack the rates so, so high that you say, well, it's not worth it. You just drop the insurance so they drive you out of the market. Why? Because once you get to a certain age, the chance of you being sick and costing the insurance company money goes up exponentially. They know this, and then they, do, they would rather drop you and insure healthy people that are going to pay premiums and never use it. Because health insurance companies are not designed to provide health care or designed to fund health care. Health insurance companies make money by raising rates and denying coverage. That's how they make money. They don't make money by providing health care. And that's the problem. And I noticed that the party that I was so aligned with didn't seem to care. They were doing nothing. And they came up with solutions that were a drop in the bucket. So, And certainly there are issues on the left. There are issues within the Democratic Party. Um, I'm sure that are the same kind of situation where you have uh, Democrats playing lip service to people, not really doing anything that matters. And maybe some people on the Democratic side have various issues that make them come over to the other side. Or some of us are like myself who don't align myself with either party and remain independent. Because I'm going to look at all the issues, look at what everybody says, and decide which of these issues or how many of these issues, who has the most issues right, and who has the best policies, what I think is for our country, and, and of course, some policies that affect me personally. I think we all do that. And it would be dishonest to say we don't, you know. So I think it's important that we realize that our experiences play a big part in this. Uh, recognizing this is what opens our minds and our hearts to other viewpoints without changing our view. However, when we do this, sometimes our viewpoints may be adjusted. You know, it's always good to listen to other people. Now, one of the problems we have, and all of us have this to some extent, is something called cognitive bias. It's the tendency for people to allow other factors to influence their objective reality. This means that what we accept as reality or truth may not really be based on objective data or rational thinking. We are so sure we're right about an issue, but are we basing our position on the right information? Or do we simply parrot what other people say? Do we do a little digging to see if what we think is based on fact? Do we check primary sources? Do we know the difference between journalism and propaganda? Or are we just listening to these talking heads, these media people, and they tell us what we want to hear, and we like it, and we don't care what's true or untrue. This is our agenda. This is what we want without really thinking it through and understanding the implications of these issues. And I think all of us do this to some extent. But when you are so disconnected from the reality of government, how it works, or the reality of what these, uh, what these policies are going to do to people, 
whether they're going to help or not help. And we're and, and the honest truth is we're too lazy to do the research and find out for ourselves, is this really true? And that's what you've got to ask yourself. When your people, I'm not talking about the other side, I'm talking about your people, the ones you align yourself with, when they tell you something is a cert, certain way or they tell you something, you need to ask yourself, is this really true? Why is this true? And then start doing some research on it to find out if what they're saying is true. And one good way to do that is to listen to other people's viewpoints. Because if you're going to find, like for example, if your guy, your person, your media person, your pastor, even if it's your pastor or it's your or some talk show you listen to or your politician, they're telling you something and you need to find out whether it's true or not, you don't ask them. You go to the other side and you listen to the other side and what critical information they have. And it may be 90% of what the other side says to you is not true either. But in there, there may be something in there that actually is true. So we learn from other viewpoints. Even the most outrageous viewpoint may have a kernel of truth. And the third thing we need to do, and, and this is very important when we're doing all this, is that we need to love people. All right? We need to never burn a relational bridge over a political view. People are more important than our potentially flawed view. Never let a political view interfere with our mission of preaching the gospel. We should be able to have opposite views and still get along. I have three kinds of people, or th three ways of interacting with people in regard to politics. There are people that I can sit down and have a meaningful conversation with and discuss issues and talk about whatever without holding back. I'm not talking about getting emotional. I just mean without holding back with, I'm not afraid to say anything. We can be open with each other. And then when we're done, we move on to the next subject or we don't talk about politics at all and we're good friends. I have other people we try to do that with but you just realize you can't, and maybe it's because they're too narrow-minded, or maybe it's because I'm too narrow-minded. I don't know. But whatever the case, you just realize it isn't going to work, but you still value that person as a friend, so you just don't talk about those issues. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good, healthy way to deal with it. It'd be better if we were all mature enough to have those discussions, but that doesn't always work out that way. But occasionally... Uh, I've had people that I've had to cut out of my life. I don't do it a lot. I don't like to do it. But when people are very toxic, when they are, are very mean-spirited, or they say very ugly things, uh, you know, when the name-calling gets, gets really bad and they get angry and hateful, I, I don't have time for that in my life. You know? and, and it's not healthy for anybody. Uh, if people like that want to, you know you know, dislodge their head from, you know, where, uh, then, okay, maybe, maybe then you can resume, uh, you know, and sometimes there are seasons, political seasons where people get really spun up and we say things we shouldn't say. And then later you realize, oh man, why did I get so spun up about that? I still believe the same things, but I shouldn't have said that the way I did. Then it's okay to reconcile and get things straight. But for the most part, we need to find a way to love people. All right. 
We carry the reputation of Christ with us everywhere we go. When we carry the name of Christ, we say we are Christians, we are God's people, people are watching us. And it's important that we maintain that. It's important, in other words, the reputation of Christ is much more important than whatever our political views are. Now, if we believe the Bible, we believe Jesus is coming again, He's going to you know, establish His kingdom reign on this earth, and you understand eschatology and how that all plays out, none of this is going to matter. But you know what is going to matter? Who makes it and who doesn't make it? And if we're so sidetracked with our political agendas that we're no longer preaching the gospel, you know, then, then there's going to be a lot of people that miss out. Our job is to save the lost. Our job is to minister Christ. Yes, you have to deal with these issues. You have to deal. There are lots of legitimate issues on the right. There are lots of legitimate issues on the left. And sometimes those legitimate issues get morphed into some distorted, weird, uh, unhealthy thing. But they're still legitimate issues, you know, and they have to be dealt with. But quit associating the name of Christ. And, and people on the left do the same thing. Progressives put this bumper sticker of Jesus on their lives and endorse all these horrible policies that are really um, have nothing to do with the Bible or nothing to do with Christ, but they claim to be. And then they have other very compassionate issues that are legitimate. Then you have people on the right that endorse horrible things that don't really seem to line up with Scripture, then they have other good issues and things that they, they do stand up for, what's right. So you have that on both sides. And it's important, though, that if you're a Christian and you endorse a political view, stop telling people this is God's will or this is what God wants. That's, that's just nonsense. You can't say that. You know, I mean, if you got a view, then articulate that view based on reason, based on logic, based on science, based on facts, based on empirical evidence. Um, but God says so is not, is not a, a legitimate view for public policy or not a legitimate justification for public policy. All right? So it's vital that we put Jesus first and our earthly priorities second. That doesn't mean we ignore them. We don't stick our head in the sand. But make sure we understand what our priorities are, and let's put our faith priorities ahead of our political priorities. So I hope this has helped you. I hope this has encouraged you. I hope this uh, helped clear up some of the confusion about this issue. Um, and if you have any questions or any comments, please feel free to DM me or, or, or if I post this somewhere, feel free to comment. Um, but thanks for listening. I hope this has been a blessing to you. God bless.